weeks ago, we started Luke chapter 14. As Travis was here last week, as many of you I'm sure were blessed by Travis being here. They have arrived safely to let you know, back home, and so we're excited that they were here. The last two weeks ago, I was in Luke chapter 14. So if you guys all want to turn to Luke chapter 14, I taught on verses 1 through 24, if you remember. And we learned that through that passage is we learned that we need to live our lives as Jesus did, as that example that he gave us through that passage is. We learned about humility, and we learned that we need to, you know, as remember at the dinner table, what place we were supposed to sit at the table, never take the lead seat, always sit, you know. So I'm sure as this last two weeks, many of us has probably had an opportunity to lead by this example, right? Some situations where we had to humble ourselves and sit in the back maybe, or not say something when we wanted to say something. I get lots of opportunities to be humble. Never always. Now we also saw a special invitation last two weeks ago that was presented to the people. Remember, there was a great banquet, a great dinner party. Everyone was invited, so the man set out this great invitation, and then no one came. We saw that then a special messenger had went out and invited everyone. We also saw that this was an example of the marriage supper. And we looked at the cost of this marriage supper. And I want to revisit that just for one minute before we get going today. So I want everyone to turn to John 3.16. John 3.16. What was the cost of that marriage supper? What was the cost of that? John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. Thank you for the light. He gave his only one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So as we are invited to that marriage supper, I believe we must remember that there was a great cost for that supper. That God gave his only one and begotten son so we could attend that marriage supper. So we could have our eternal life in heaven. So it's so important to remember that because it's just, I I never want to forget that. I really don't. Um, This week, I just want to ask, is, is everyone... Got that invitation. That invitation to that marriage supper. I think everyone here has received an invitation. Everyone has heard the gospel. The gospel has been presented here and throughout many different things. And if there's anyone here that, like in the story two weeks ago, are, starting, are still making excuses. Remember the excuses given? Oh, i got to go look at my land. i got to my wife. And what's the other one? I remember... It doesn't matter because there's an excuse. If there's anyone here still making excuses why they haven't accepted that invitation, stop. Stop making excuses and make this today that you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Accept that invitation that's been given. So we're going to continue this week. We're going to see as we continue. Uh, Look at chapter 14, back in Luke. We're going to start off in verse 25. And Jesus now, he's left that dinner party. 
Now he's heading back to Jerusalem. He's traveling. So let's start in verse 25 and see how this is going. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned to them and said, he turned around and said to them, Jesus stops. There's a whole bunch, I mean, can you imagine he's walking on the road, there's a whole bunch of people following, a large crowd, and he stops, and he turns around, and he's got something to say. Now, who were these people that were following him? These were the people that obviously have seen or heard about the miracles he's been performing. These were the people that's maybe heard his teaching or heard about the teachings that he's has done. These people, they were following Jesus. They wanted to see who he was. What was he going to do? They're obviously very interested. But I, I think their following of Jesus was a little misled. I think most of these people thought Jesus was something else than he was. I think they were following him as they knew he was going to Jerusalem because they were expecting something else. You know what they were expecting? They were hoping. They were hoping he was going to go to Jerusalem and lead a revolt or an uprising. They were hoping that Jesus would be the person, the Messiah that they were looking for because their definition of the Messiah was wrong. They would go to Jerusalem, they would gather the Jewish people and lead an army or a revolt against the Romans. That's why these people were following him. They were looking to see, was this the man they were hoping for? Was this the Messiah they were looking for? That's why these people were following They misunderstood Jesus. They misunderstood who he was. They misunderstood why he had come. These people were following Jesus, but again, just not for the right reason. They were expecting Jesus to free them physically from the rule of Rome. They knew Jesus knew this, though. Jesus knew they weren't really true followers. They were seeking him for different reasons. So all these people that were following Jesus, as Jesus is going to turn around and address them, it's like many people today. There's many people that say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But they have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what it truly is to follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus is going to address for all of us today, what it is to truly be one of Jesus' disciples. That's why I said it's like a job description. I mean, it's not really a job. This, he is going to explain to that what it really means to truly follow Jesus, not just the way these people were in looking for something else. It was time for these people that were following Jesus to understand who he was and what was required of them if they were going to be one of his disciples. Jesus is going to be very clear what is required to accept that invitation that we talked about two weeks ago. What it what he's going to explain to them using three requirements. So we're going to look at each of them today. He's going to use language, very strong language, very forthcoming language. Um, he's going to make a point. He's, he's going to be very strong. I don't know what other used to use. But he's going to even shock these people, and even some people that may hear the scripture or read the scripture today, it will sound shocking to them. Like, What? That doesn't sound correct or right, but Jesus is going to make his point very clearly to all of us and to these people that if we are to follow him as a disciple, this is what's required. So as I studied this last week and I looked at all these different passages, it kind of reminded me of the team that was here. Now, we were talking about missions teams coming earlier. 
you know, we get a lot of different teams and a lot of people that are interested in coming on mission teams. Uh, missions, you know, we, they, I interview a lot of people and the church comes out. I got like eight people interested. But, you know, as, as the Nevada team announced to the church that they were going to have a mission team, there's a bunch of people interested. You know, oh, yeah, I want to go. I want to go. It sounds great. You know, I want to go to serve in missions in Myanmar short term. That sounds wonderful. And I, I think that many of them didn't understand what that really meant in coming here. And so, as it was my responsibility to share with all these people that got that invitation to come here what the requirements were to come on a mission team. And so I had to, you know, we had to explain the flight. Um, you know, it's 24 hours on a plane just isn't very fun by itself. Let's just start with that. That's not that fun. But they do give you a hog dogs So, here on Cafe Pacific. Uh, but I had to share with them. And I had to just talk about their sole purpose in coming here. Their sole purpose was to share the gospel. Nothing else. It's not tourist. It's not doing this or doing that. It is to encourage and share the gospel to the Myanmar people. And I had to explain to them what we would be doing. And uh, we'd be going to villages. And as we went out, I had to uh, tell them, hey, you know, if you have any allergies to food, you're probably going to have a rough time here in Myanmar. Um, we're going to go out to villages and we're going to be sleeping on grass mats. And, you know, there's a lot of mosquitoes, they bite. There's a lot of ants, they bite. There's spiders, they bite. Some of the people probably started wondering, ah, oh, maybe Myanmar mission trip ain't for me. Because it's required, if you come on a mission trip with me, that you're going to be sleeping out in villages. So some of the people, well, maybe it's too much for me, I can't do that. Then I explain you know, there are some financial cost. It's definitely going to cost them financially to come. Some people went, well... That cost is too great also for me, so maybe I can't come either. So they, you know, as I started explaining all this required, oh, you're, you know, you're not going to get much sleep. I, you know what, you're going to have to eat rice three times a day. You don't get any your Western food. Um, uh, some of the people like, oh, I don't know if I can handle that either. Um, we went on through all the requirements. And, you know, now, from all the 10 interested people, I think we had four. Because once they learn the cost... Physically, I mean, actual money. Then they learn the requirements, as in they'd be sleeping outside. They'd be, you know, there's bugs. There's um, they weren't going to be in a five-star hotel, um, and also they weren't going to be able to go do all these tourist things. They were actually going to have to serve the people the entire time. They're like, uh, I don't know if that's for me. Some others actually really were excited for that. Also, though, kind of there's two different types. So I was thinking of that team and how to go on a mission here. There is requirements and there's cost. If you're going to be one of Jesus' disciples, there's costs. There's requirements. Jesus is going to share some of them with us. And uh, I do want to share about the mission team. I want to show a few pictures just to give you guys an idea of what the team that you guys met last week did. So I'm going to show a few pictures. There they are. Oh, back to that picture. Okay, so here, you see the boat? That was another requirement. To go to the village, they had to go on a boat. So we had to take a car, first aid to fly here, then we had to go on the car ride to the village, and then they had to go on an hour boat ride during high tide. Uh, no, no, that's trust me in the Lord. Probably should have had them. But you can see them all on the boat, so they had to get in a boat and go on a boat ride into the village. Next. So here you can see this is a small school out in the village. We're teaching them songs. Here you can see, playing a lot of games with them. 
There's Alyssa. We're doing a craft. You see the craft there? They're putting the village. They were able to learn. We always do like three parts in our everything that we do. We try to do three parts. First is the craft. They just love the craft. But then we also teach them the shapes. You see. So as we went, they learned their shapes. And then also, there's always a gospel message to whatever they're doing. So then you talk about the cross and what the cross stands for. So whenever we do that, there's you try to teach them a little bit of English. This kind of shapes. And uh, here, you see that? See the guy on the ground? His name is Annie. Annie the dummy. It's a mannequin. CPR mannequin. So we were able to share with that school, and the people there had to perform CPR and give them basic first aid training. And then we were able to bless them with a first aid kit they could use. Awesome. More games. Rice sack races. Can't go wrong there. That's a great opportunity to practice your first aid afterwards. Uh, so this is the boat ride back. So this is uh, my pastor there, Travis Martin, who's saying it's popular where I'm from, is blessed are the flexible. And he hadn't really heard that. He said maybe it should be one of the Beatitudes. But what happened is it was Friday, and he said we have to leave early Saturday so we can be back here for the Bible study for Vicky. They said, well, that's a problem because it's low tide. And so we couldn't leave. So we had to leave at 11... 12, whatever it was, in the night. So we had to go through, get in the boat, go through the river system, and leave, and then I had to drive everyone home during the night. So that was a little scary. There was a lot of praying going on, driving at night, coming back. Um, almost, We had so many near misses, it was amazing, and nobody ever got hurt. So, praise the Lord. Uh, you can see here, we went to a Hindu village uh, here. All these are Hindu children. We were able to preach the gospel to all these Hindus. See the temple right there? So during this, right on, we were at a Hindu temple and shared the gospel with all the children and all the adults there. And game night here. If you missed that, you missed out. So that's one of the things we also able to do. It was a wonderful time. Everyone enjoyed it. We had a lot of new faces come. There you go. So you can see the missions team that came was very busy doing the work that was laid out in front of them. They were never, they never had time to relax. They were up like 6 a.m. every morning, out till 10, 11 o'clock each day. Uh, busy, busy, busy. There was no time to relax and rest. The whole time we kept them busy morning to night. So that was one of the requirements to come here, that they had to be ready for that. So as we continue, remember that only about half the people originally interested in coming came. And the reason was, is, all these other things had gotten in the way of that trip. It was important for them to understand the cost, though, before they came, wasn't it? It was important to, for them to understand the requirements before they came here to Myanmar to minister to the Myanmar people. Imagine if they didn't understand that, and then they came here. That would have been a mess. We have people come, you know, they'd be complaining. I mean, as it was, I had some of that anyways. Uh, but they really, I mean, their hearts were amazing. But imagine if they come and say, well, I can't stay in a village. I can't sleep outside. Or I'm allergic to rice. Or that would be really bad. It would be a mess. They'd be grouchy. They, they, wouldn't, they would not be a good testimony to why they were here. In fact, they would be harmful to the mission trip. They would actually cause harm even to the rest of the team being here. And then the rest of the team could not go out and fulfill the purpose that God called them to do here. 
So it's so important that they were aware of the cost of coming on a missions trip. It's so important that we, as Christians, understand the cost and the requirements to be one of Jesus' disciples. Because if we go out there and we say we're going to go serve the Lord, and we're not willing to accept them cost or meet their requirements that God has set forth here, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a big mess. Not only does it hurt the testimony of who Jesus is, it also hurts you know, your other team members and lots of things. So we're going to look at this today. I think it's just kind of neat how I saw with the missions team. It's a similar situation. Really. Let's, turn, let's look at verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. I warned you that there was some strong language, didn't I? This word hate, it's a very strong word. Jesus uses it here. Very clearly uses it. He's using it to form a contrast. An understanding that could only be used this way. So stick with me as I try to interpret what Jesus is really trying to tell you. Jesus is saying we must love God more than anything else in the world. And that we would be willing to give up anything else in our life to be his disciple. This is a contrast again. Now the question is, are we like these people in this story following Jesus? Or are we his disciple? Is there anything in your own life that you would not be willing to give up? To be a disciple of Jesus. Think about that question as we go through this. What about even your own life? What is Jesus requiring us here? What is he asking of us? It's very strong language. Now, it's true we're not always required to give everything up. I obviously, I've not given everything up. But I think of the story of Abraham. What did God ask of him? God asked for his son. And Abraham was willing to give his own son. Now, God never was going to take his son. But God wanted to see his faithfulness and his willingness before he used him. How far will we go on that? I mean, again, remember, God never wanted his son's life. He wanted Abraham's faithfulness and his willingness. A a true disciple of Jesus must be willing to lay every single thing down at the foot of the cross. Maybe some of us have some things we're holding on to. I know I did. And it still comes up today. I remember when I first felt called into ministry. Say, Lord, I, I, I know you're calling me, but there's one place I will never go. I'll never go to California. I hate that state. Lord, I'll serve you anywhere, but I won't go to California. Some of you are like, why would you say that? It seems weird. Well, if you're from Nevada, then you don't like California. And so I was from Nevada, and I'm like, I'll never go to California. 
And I was in California visiting Vicky's family, because that's where they all live. And uh, I went to a little church right in Orange County, California, and it was an amazing church. It was just a little tiny fellowship, and uh, it was a great message, it was great worship. And the Lord just spoke to me, if I call you here right now, will you go? I said, you know what, Lord? I'll go wherever you call me. If it's here, I'll go here. And it was, I said for years, I will never move to there. And then I just said, you know, I surrender, Lord. Wherever you want me is where I'll go. I never got sent to California. Guess where I got sent? Here I am today, Myanmar. But I had to, I had to lay that reservation I had. If I was going to be truly one of Jesus' disciples, I had to lay that reservation down. And say, Lord, I'll go wherever you call me. I'll do whatever you ask. Now, how how do you think you think of that story of Abraham? Or maybe he's asking you to move. What would your response be? Jesus is clear that nothing should come in front of our relationship with him. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Uh, it continues in 38. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus is asking for a lot, and he's using some strong language, but he's really using that as an illustration. It's an illustration being used, saying how much we should love Jesus. I want to be clear here, this is important. Jesus is never and will never tell you to hate anyone. That's not the point of the message. He's not saying hate your mother and father or hate anyone. Jesus is the message of love. So we need to be clear about that. But, he said, in contrast of how much you love the person that you love the very most, and how much you love Jesus, it should be that big a contrast and be able to accept that. It's a comparison. So as we continue, I, just, I, mean, I ask, do you have that type of courage to be one of Jesus' disciples? Let's look at verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Again, Jesus uses some very, very strong language. He's making another illustration, but especially to the people of Jesus' time, that they would. this meant a lot to the people of Jesus' time. The people of Jesus' time knew that if you were to carry and pick up your cross, this was a one-way ticket. You were going to die the most cruel death known in that time. Why would Jesus use this illustration? I bet you this illustration would have probably scared and put fear even in the people that were following him at the time. This is an illustration that Jesus is using to illustrate to us that we need to deny ourselves. We need to die to ourselves. What does that mean? To die to oneself. It means we are to die to our own self-will. We're to embrace God's will. 
We're to replace our self-determination with obedience and dependence on God. That's a mouthful. That's what he's asking. That's what it is to die to ourselves, to, to truly turn to God and turn and let our will for our lives go and seek his will for our lives. I tell you, I have to do this daily. This isn't something that just, I did it and now it's complete. Every which day when I wake up, I have to say, Lord, just use me. Take my desires. Let my desires be your desires. It's a daily, daily thing. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Twenty-four through twenty-five. Then Jesus said to my disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What does it benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This complete commitment to Jesus that he's asking for is done through our own free will. Nobody can force you to do this. It is done by our own willingness and surrender to Jesus. Maybe there's something... If your life still like I was hanging on to, maybe there's something you're hanging on to. Jesus is illustrating this in a very strong language that we are to die to ourselves and to live for him. That's what he's talking about here. If we are to truly to follow Jesus and be his disciple, we must leave everything of this world behind. Leave that old life behind and walk anew with Jesus. That's what he's telling these people that are following him. You're not really following me. This is what's required if you are to follow me. Look at verses, turn back. Let's look at verses 28 and 30. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin a construction of a building without first calculating the cost? To see there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. You know, as I read that verse, we're getting ready to do our remodel on the new building. So I was thinking about this. I'm like, no, I better have done this too. I better see how much this whole thing's going to cost. So I'm like, hey, everyone, we're going to do this and then run out of money. Uh, that would be pretty embarrassing. Not only not be a good testimony. Uh, so we always to count the cost of whatever we're doing and to understand the price that we will have to pay. That way later we're not surprised, right? We knew. This is a possibility of what this would cost us. Um, Jesus doesn't want anyone to be misled what it is to be his disciple. He's not trying to say that you're going to be my disciple, this is just going to be everything in your life is going to be great and wonderful. There's a cost. He wants you to understand that as you make that decision. That, you know, yes, you receive all the blessings Jesus has to offer. That amazing peace inside of you. That amazing love and that mercy and that grace. Then our place eternally in heaven alongside him. But also there is a cost that we face here on earth. There's difficulties that we will face. And Jesus is clear. He wants everyone to understand that. 
He says, take into account what it'll cost you as you make that decision. Look at it. Understand it. There's a price to pay. Ask yourself after you look at them cost, is it, do I still believe in Jesus? Do I want to follow Jesus? Understand. Many of us, you know, in Western culture don't understand the cost that people face here. Many people I've seen, they, they go to come to the Lord and they want to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But realizing when they do that, they're going to be ostracized by their entire family. They're not able to go, you know, when I accepted Christ, I'm like, Mom, I accepted Christ. Everyone was happy. They were wonderful. It's great news. Here, they very well can be cast out of their family. So it's important. Jesus is very clear. He wants everyone to understand that this is a possibility. That there is a cost. He wants to know, though, are you willing to lose everything in your life to follow Jesus? I know coming here in Myanmar, we knew the cost of coming here. We understood some of the trials that we would face. We understand the requirements of being here. And we accepted that when we came. We understand that there was sickness here. We understood that we would miss our families. We understood that when our family was sick, we'd not be able to go be with them. We counted them cost before we came here. Now, even doing that, there's a lot of stuff that's came up that we didn't expect necessarily. But we did take an account of that. And we looked at that. And we talked about that. And we prayed about that. And then we said, we're willing, Lord, to follow your lead and come here. So Jesus is saying, don't go in blind. Understand what it is to follow him. Let's continue, verse 31 through 33. Or what kind of king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether an army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send out a delegation to discuss the terms of peace, why the enemy is still far away. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus wants everyone to know what it takes what is required to be his disciple? Jesus is making sure no one can say later, I didn't know the cost. I didn't realize coming your, becoming your disciple would cost me this. He wants it very clear. He doesn't want anyone going back and saying, I can't do this. It's too much. What is required to be one of Jesus' disciples? What is required? Everything. That's required of us. Everything is required of us. Our entire lives, we are to submit our entire lives in every aspect to God and say, here I am. That's what it is to be one of Christ's disciples. Say, show me, Lord. If we are to be true followers of Jesus, we are to surrender everything that we have to him. All that we are, and all we are to be. That's what's required to be one of Jesus' disciples. In return, though, we're talking all the requirements and the costs. What do we get in return? The greatest gift man has ever received is what we get in return. We get forgiveness of our sins. We get a, we get to join from that invitation at Mary's Supper. We get to join an eternal life in heaven with Jesus. And we get a peace 
here on earth that is supernatural, that is unexplainable. Knowing who Christ is. Doesn't mean we won't face problems and different things, but we, everyone that is truly a follower of Christ has a peace that is undescribable. As we face all these different trials, different things we've talked about, these different costs, there's a peace inside that is just unshakable. Let's finish up at 34 and 35. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We are called to have perseverance, that's the word, as our walk as Christians. Never losing our flavor as Christians. Seasoned with the love of Jesus Christ. It's easy to say, right? You guys comprehend what I was trying to say there. Are you seasoned with the love of Jesus as you go out there? What's your flavor when people meet you? What type of taste in their mouth do they walk away with after you've spoken to them? Is it when you meet people out there, do you are they drawn to Jesus? Or are they drawn away from Jesus? What flavor do you have? Is your seasoning in your life something that people desire? They go, what is that recipe of that man's life? Look at that love that he has in his life. What makes him that way? What is different about that person? That's the salt that we need to be. That flavor. Return to another scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 13. Back one page here. I'm going to read this whole thing here. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Is that anyone here today? I'll ask. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all of to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. We are to be full flavor Christians. Out there. If you are a Christian, your life is to be lived with this saltiness, with this flavor. People should be drawn to Jesus through you. When people encounter you, when you speak to people, they should leave hungering and knowing to wonder who Jesus is. They shouldn't have a bad taste in their mouth after they've met you. This illustration is very clear that we need to live a life that draws people to Jesus, not away from Jesus. And as I close up here, there's three requirements that we saw. Three requirements to be in one, to be one, to be Jesus' disciple. Look at the first one. 
You must love Jesus in such a way that all other relationships would seem like hate in comparison. That's a lot of love. It's not saying you should hate. It's saying in comparison. It's a difference. You must, number two, you must carry your own cross. What that means is you're to die to your own self-will. You're to embrace God's will, to replace your self-determination with obedience and dependence on God. Number three, to be one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus tells us that we are to understand the cost of being his disciple. And count the cost knowing it may cost you everything. Now, we've seen there's a lot of requirements here and a lot of cost. But we must look at the other side of this, right? What are the costs of not being a disciple of Jesus Christ? What's the cost? Which is greater? The cost to surrender to Jesus? Or the cost of our sin? I want to look at Luke chapter 9. Verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We can remember this scripture and this verse as we go through our daily walk as Christians. As we wake up each day, Remember, this is a daily thing that we have to do here. I was thinking about this and how we're supposed to be as we talk about the salt. I was thinking maybe you've heard of the, I don't know, some of you may or may not heard of this. I'm going to try. The saying is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, maybe some of you have heard that. Uh, but the thing is you can you can lead him to the water, and this is what the horse needs. But you can't always make him drink the water, can you? Even though you know that's what that horse needs. So there's a... It's the same with people, isn't it? You can lead them to Jesus, but you cannot make them accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know this is what they need to save themselves, but you can't make them do it. You can't make them accept Jesus. You can't make their horse drink the water. Now, I said we're supposed to be the salt in people's lives, right? That's what it said. Now, I was thinking about that. The trick... With the horse, is you got to make the horse thirsty. So if you can get that horse thirsty, he'll drink that water. Now I was thinking you could feed that horse some salt. That would make him thirsty. And then he'll drink that water, which is the water that he needs. We need to be the salt in people's lives that makes them thirst for a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we need to bring into people's lives. Bring in a hunger to know Jesus. That's what our effect on other people's lives should be. That they are drawn to Jesus. Because we can't give them Jesus. We can't force them Jesus. But we can instill a hunger in their lives for Jesus. We can be that salt in their lives that makes them thirsty to know Jesus. We're going to close with one verse, and if the worship team can come up in just a minute, 
But I just want to, as we go out this week, let's be flavorful Christians. Let's go out and speak to people and be that salt in their lives that will make them thirst for Jesus. Let's never be that person that drives them away. Let's, we're going to close with a verse. This worship team will come up. We're going to turn to Philippians. End with this for the day. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Remember this as we close. I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead.